Yeah, the reading today is 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 to 8. That is page 1218 in the English Bible. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. Thank you, Naomi. Please do keep that bit of the Bible open or switched on. That's not my phone he's stealing. Stop, please. Uh, it's something to do with the translation, I think. So don't worry, it wasn't a very gentle muggy <laughs> happening there. We're going to particularly focus on verses 4 to 8 of that chapter. And I think in this section, Peter is giving these Christians two reasons why the hassle, the awkwardness, sometimes the rejection that comes from being a Christian is worth it. Here's the first one. Everyone does something with Jesus. I wonder, have you ever walked into a room and suddenly everybody in the room goes silent and looks embarrassed? You know what's going on when that happens. They were talking about you before you came in. It's a skill you have to learn to deal with as your children get older. When your children are young, you can speak in code and they don't get it. You can, you know, they just don't get it. As they get older, they begin to realise you were talking about them. And so you need to learn to do like smooth transitions. So it's a little tip. So always have something ready to say. They are driving me totally mad. Oh, hello, dear. And this all happened in the supermarket. It's great. Little tip for you there. We're slightly in that awkward situation here if you are here visiting today. Because in this section of chapter 2, Peter is talking to Christians about people who aren't Christians. Uh, so if you are here today and not a Christian or you're unsure about being a Christian and I can assure you you're not the only person here like that. Lots of people come to our church like that every week. We don't want you to feel awkward but let me be transparent. This bit is about you. A Christian talking to other Christian about someone like you. So uh, he says in verse 7 uh, those who do not believe. So that's what he's talking about. And he says people who don't believe they stumble or fall over a rock. And in this picture Peter is painting, the rock they fall over is Jesus. Why that is, we'll see that in a minute. This is the best picture I could come up with of that as a child tripping over something. So that puts the idea in your head. He says, if there is someone who knows about Jesus but doesn't trust Jesus, they are tripping over him, stumbling over him. And he quotes the first part of the Bible, the bit of the Bible before Jesus, where God predicted 
The one who would be rejected would be the ruler in the end, and the one who sent God sent to save the world would make people trip up, would make people stumble. So God sent Jesus. Jesus commands us to live under his rule, even though many people reject him, that's still true. But Jesus makes the people who reject him trip over, like this per child. What does that mean? Well, once as an enthusiastic and probably naive Christian student, I was actually part of one of the groups, like one that Matty described meeting, uh, doing questionnaires with people, asking them interesting questions, like, is there justice in the world? And I rem it's really, it's a way of like beginning conversations and finding out where people around you are at. And I did it naively, thinking I would be very clever and be able to answer everybody's questions. And in fact, that was not my experience. I bumped into this extremely clever graduate student and every question I asked, he would say something like, well, I guess that, what you, that well, how you answer that depends on what you think of the Kalam cosmological argument. Don't you think that's right? <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, I think probably it's right. Um, the next question's about science. And um, we did that all the way through the questions. I, by the end, was like, maybe I can't be a Christian after all, so I can't understand any of these questions. But the last question on the questionnaire was, who do you think Jesus Christ was? He's a very clever person, but he totally struggled with this question. He was working it out in his head as he was talking to me. He said, I do get, you know, I have read the Bible. I'm very educated. So I get that Jesus can't just be a sort of moral teacher, guru type, because I do get he claimed to be God. So he can't be that. I don't think you can just treat him as a wise teacher because wise people don't make such ridiculous claims. I can't believe that we all have to accept what Jesus says, and we would have to accept what Jesus says if he was God. So in the end, I can't answer your question. All I can tell you is I definitely do not want to be a Christian. Oh, do you see what happens? Jesus has totally tripped him up. Every other question, there is an answer to. But if you are going to take Jesus seriously, the things he actually says seriously, you will trip up over his claims. And that's what Peter is saying here. He's saying everyone who actually hears about Jesus does something with him. Peter's clear. For many people, he's under no illusion. They reject Jesus. Oh, thank you. You're feeling guilty. Stealing it. Everyone who actually uh, um, hears about Jesus does something. And G Peter's under no illusion for lots of people that's reject Jesus. But when people reject Jesus, what they're saying is the same as that graduate student. Not he's not compelling or he's not truth-giving, but I don't want him to be in charge of my life. Christianity is the largest social movement the world has ever seen. It has radically altered the course of history. In fact, the very date we have today is traced back to the birth of Jesus. And that is utterly bizarre, isn't it, when that came from a man who wandered round the desert for a couple of years and whose followers were peasants. Unless, of course, he is, in fact, as he claimed, God himself come to the world. If you hear all that about Jesus, the sensible, the wise thing to do 
with him is to trust him, is to come to him. The truth is that many people, perhaps most people, do not choose that. But then Jesus trips them up. Because there is no serious way to do that. We give ourselves away. We just don't want someone else being in charge of us. Think about the things people say when you're doing questionnaires with them on campus and other things like that. People say to you, oh, I don't think Jesus was God, but I do really agree with his teaching. That's very interesting because most of his teaching was about the fact that he was God. His first thing he says is, repent and believe the gospel. How are you getting on with obeying that bit of teaching? Or other things people say, he was a very wise teacher who brought peace to the world. When he said himself, my teaching will cause strife and trouble in families. Or he was a prophet, someone who spoke on behalf of God, except he actually refused to let people call him a prophet. If it's true, if Jesus is right about what he is saying, he is God himself, come tell us to give our lives to God. The problem is we don't want to do that, and so we trip up over the truth about Jesus. Peter says it in verse 8. They stumble because they disobey the message. It's not because there's actually anything bad or untrustworthy about Jesus. Now listen, people come to church with real questions, and I'm not writing them off. Real questions about science and ethics and all that stuff. We love questions here. We're happy to talk about them. Let us clear those things out of the way for you. But the truth is, when you get to Jesus, you will do something with him. You might already have done it. You're settled thinking something about him. And for many people, they're settled thinking something about him that can't possibly be true. He's tripping you up. And the issue is, don't want God to tell you what to do. I say everyone does something with Jesus. There are other people mentioned here uh, in verse 4. You come to him, the living stone. If you're a Christian, that's what you've done. You have come to Jesus because you see, as Peter says, that while he was rejected by people, he is precious to God. If someone here today is a Christian, is trusting Jesus, like Matthew, like Sam, like Kevin, they think that even though the story of Jesus on the face of it is this, travelling preacher executed by evil empire at the end, they think the truth is more. They think Jesus was God's precious son. They think he came to earth and divided history in two. They think he achieved what God wanted him to achieve, they think he was winning people back to belong to God, that he's raised to life. One day he will bring God's perfect rule. He is precious to God. They are convinced that God thinks that about Jesus and God is right. And so they've come to Jesus. Let's be clear about that. what, what that means. I remember years ago when I got baptised, I invited another very sort of clever, snooty person who wasn't a Christian and they were making fun of it. They were saying, oh, you're getting baptised. Is it magic water? Will it make you clean because the water's been specially treated? The Holy Spirit pours out when you're in the bath. Let's just be clear. What we're seeing today 
is a physical enactment of something the person has already done, which is come to Jesus. They are drawn to him, and therefore that offer is open to anyone. You can come to Jesus if you believe the truth about him. Oh, I know he's rejected by lots of people, but he's precious to God. I think he might be who he says he is. Well, come and receive from him. So Peter is saying, everyone does something with Jesus. There's the odd choice to do something with Jesus. I don't do anything with him. I ignore him. I reject him. God's not surprised by that. What's this got to do with all the people feeling left out? Well, sometimes it can just feel weird to be making a choice that no one else is making. But the crowd isn't always right. I think that's what Peter is saying here. If you look at what most people think about many things, you come up with a very crazy way of living. Imagine we tried to live that way. I'll just take a democratic poll about every choice and see where my life turns up. You discover most people believe quite strange things about a lot of stuff. And Peter is saying, don't let that put you off making the wise decision about Jesus which is to come to him. Everyone does something. I'm going to tell you choosing to come to Jesus is better. And that's the second thing we see about Jesus. Jesus will do something with anyone. Did you have a toy when you were young that you were desperate to get but your parents never brought, brought you? There were two things I could have put up here. The first one was a Mr. Frosty, which was, everyone here is too young to remember. Some of you remember Mr. Frosty. You can make your own ice lollies. I was desperate for a Mr. Frosty. Every Christmas I was like, that big box must be a Mr. Frosty, and it wasn't. It was something more sort of like learned. <laughs> uh, or the big yellow teapot. Why did I want the big yellow teapot? I don't know. It was really a doll's house. So I don't know why I wanted it. Probably fair play for my parents not buying it for me so all my friends didn't laugh at me. Uh, I wanted the big yellow teapot. What was the toy that you wanted when you were little? Any suggestions? No, Barbie's dream, house. Barbie's dream house. Yeah, I'm sure that was popular. Any other? Pardon? A Game Boy. Your parents never got you one. Gosh, this is a story of story of tragic stories we're hearing here. Well, that was the toy I wanted as a child. Here's the toy I'd like as an adult. If you're thinking of gifts for me, uh, these are so cool. These are a garden ornament of cubes that light up. But they only light up when you join them together. That's so cool. So it's like you have one, and then if you put the other one on top, it lights up too. And then you put the other one on top, it lights up too. You get the idea. If you lean one on it in a sort of quirky way, it lights up too. That's the toy I want now. It's a good picture of the way Peter talks about Jesus in this passage. He says, God has loved his son Jesus eternally, the love between them overflowed into the world being made and they have perfect, vibrant life in themselves. And so when you come to Jesus, you light up too. The light of that life is shared with you. That amazing eternal life between him and his father spreads to anybody who comes to him. And Peter is explaining why when you're suffering so much, what they've discovered is they're having this unexplainable joy, even when people are rejecting them. 
Peter's saying, because when you came to Jesus, the life he had with God his Father spread to you. You were like a block that lit up. That's the offer to anybody who will come to Jesus. Connected to him, his life will fill you. And Peter says, as Josh was telling us earlier, God is building those people, giving life, into a spiritual house. So when Christians are together, and when they get rid of malice and envy and lying, and they love each other deeply, God lives there. The life Jesus is imparting them is seen and experienced. We've been watching this TV programme recently in our house, The Women in the Wall, good BBC drama, highly recommend it. It's a terrible, well, it's very dramatic, but sad story, based in Ireland in the 20th centuries, where Christian leaders, or certainly people who claimed that, did terrible things to women living in convents. One of the reasons people are cynical about religion is because that so often seems to be the case. There's someone at the top who benefits from the devotion of others. Someone who says, oh, you can't get to God except through me. I'm the priest. Well, that's convenient. If you stand between me and God, I need you. And I've got to do what you say. And those systems have often turned into control and power. The power to say what you've done isn't good enough. Pay more, do more. You need to rely on me to get forgiveness. Did you see, as we read the passage, what Peter says here, what the Bible actually says, is the total opposite of that, verse 5. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices. That's not for one special group of people we all have to rely on. That's anyone who gets this life from Jesus can offer sacrifices that please God. The whole church is a priesthood. Peter is dignifying the normal things that people do, especially taking on the challenge of deeply loving other Christians. He's saying that spiritual life flows from Jesus into you, and then we all join in giving these spiritual sacrifices to God. You do not need anyone to do that for you. No middleman required. God is building this thing using anyone who will come. He is giving you the dignity of offering to God what powerful people have always tried to keep to themselves. Just to say, then, as an aside, if you're ever in a religious environment where someone is claiming to be a priest, get out of there quick. It's an abuse of power. And did you notice what happens when you trust in Jesus, this cornerstone in verse 6? All your shame is taken away. That's one of the terrible things about watching that TV drama. Shame was utilised by religious leaders to try and force people to do things. When Jesus is promising the opposite. Trust in him, all your shame will be taken away forever. You'll never be put to shame. How does that work? Once I was at Christian camp and we had a very, very uncool kid. It was Christian camp. And there were quite a few of us there. Very, very uncool kid, but very, very cool leader. And the uncool kid was left out 
of nearly everything. Until the day the cool leader said, hey, Johnny, come and be in my team. You're with me now. You walk with me. You stay with me. You're, on, you're with me now. As soon as the cool leader, the one with all the power, did that, all of Johnny's shame about being left out, gone. Doesn't matter now, does it? What everybody else thinks of him when he has the, the look, the love, the care of the person everybody respects the most. That's what Jesus offers. The shame you're carrying about something you have done or something that has been done to you. I'm not asking anybody to share that. But whatever it is, whether it's something you feel shame about or someone else is shaming you for, comparing, feeling less than, once you trust Jesus, the only person, the only person whose opinion really matters, Jesus, the one who is precious to God, Jesus, the one who knows what it's like to be rejected, the only person actually who's ever been given the right to judge anybody, he says about you, this one is with me. You will never be put to shame. He carries us on his heart to the Father who loves us. The only one who ever has a valid point of view about your life says to anybody who comes to him, you're with me now. You will never be put to shame. You, through Jesus, can offer things in your life to God and he will be delighted to accept them because you have come to Jesus, the very life of God, and it sh he shares it with you, it flows through his son to you. Yes, now, Peter says, you're strange to everybody else. Yes, you're now part of this motley crew of people, all of whom have been told to form deep relationships of love with you, but there is no shame. Jesus says you're okay. And that means God loves the aroma, the smell of whatever you do to respond to him. He sees and regards and loves that. <coughs> that does make you strange, but Peter thinks it wor it's worth it. Well, as I finish, let me talk about verse 6. It's a quote taken from an earlier bit of the Bible where God has been talking to a group of people saying, guys, do you realise what you're doing? You're giving your life to things that kill you. That's what he's been talking about. He said, you've set up a whole society where your life is in service of stuff that is killing you. To them, it's actually a foreign ruler, a foreign ruler who's saying, yeah, yeah, I'll look after you. But really what he wants to do is enslave them. But we can recognise that story, can't we? We can recognise that story as a culture. Everybody's giving their lives away to stuff that doesn't love them, that is hurting them, that is harming them. Maybe you recognise it personally. That is what my life is about, constantly serving the needs of things that are not for me. To people like that, God says, see, look, I lay a stone in Zion, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. He says, look, I'm doing something new here. Forget that way of living. Come to this living stone. Let his life be spread to you. Forget the shame that your previous life was weighing death on you. Forget that. Come to Jesus. 
That's the offer. The offer our three baptizees have made, taken today. Come to him and be part of a new spiritual house. Let's pray. Everyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. We thank you, Lord, for that promise. We thank you for the way, whatever anybody else says to us, the only one qualified to make judgments says we're fine when we come to him. And we thank you that while Jesus was rejected, he's precious to you. Please open our eyes to see his preciousness more clearly.